This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio. The new AM740. The world doesn't need another sports show. It needs an awesome sports show. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. Neil, the boys are back. Let's talk sports. How did she know I was going to be here? <laughs> Neil Headley in for Wally this morning on the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. Of course, Naz is here. Good morning, my friend. Good morning. How are you today? I'm good. Listen, I'm honored to get the call from you guys anytime uh, that you uh, shoot me a note and say, hey, would you come in and, uh, and sit in on the show? But uh, no time more honored than to be a part of today's show. So thank you for the phone well, call. You're very welcome. Uh, today, the show is all about uh, paying tribute to one of the great legends of sports, one of the great legends of Toronto sports. You could maybe make the argument one of the classiest guys to ever wear a uniform for any Toronto sports team uh, in that we lost Roy Halladay, a Toronto Blue Jays legend at the age of 40 earlier this week with a plane crash that uh, <sighs> caught everybody by surprise. Yeah, you were 70 miles away from the crash, weren't you, when you were... Yeah, I was, uh, because if you're a regular listener to Zuma Radio, you know that Norm Edwards and I were down in uh, Fort Myers and Sanibel for the week and seeing our way around. And part of that was uh, taking a fishing charter that took us out into the Gulf of Mexico. And we heard about uh, Roy Halliday's crash while we were in the Gulf, 70 miles south of where it happened. Uh, and that area, I mean, they know Roy Halliday real well down there because not only did the Blue Jays have training camp not far from where we were, but the Phillies have training camp yeah. not far from there. You know, you've got so many Canadians and Torontonians in particular down there anyway. Um, everybody was talking about it. You couldn't go anywhere without Roy Halliday being the center of the conversation that day. Yeah, we took him for granted as a pitcher. I was checking his stats. They're Hall of Fame material. Oh, no they're, question. They're that good. No question. Um, and you might know the, the the criteria for this better than I do, the the level of excellence over yeah. there at Sky Dome. I don't know what it takes to get up there, um, but I feel like that's a kind of a glaring omission that he's not there already. Oh, he should be there already for sure. You know, and, and obviously now, um, I mean, if they, can, if they can get that done tomorrow so that it's there on opening day when the fans start showing up. You know, I was talking to Dave Van Horn, and he couldn't make the show, but he, uh, he did the broadcast of his perfect game against Florida, one nothing. Amazing. The Phillies. Yeah, Amazing. And, you know, the interesting part of that is that he they, he said that they didn't even come close to hitting him that day. Yeah. 27 up, 27 down. Yeah, because, I mean, you see, you see like, no hitters and things like that. And you'll see sometimes the pitcher just squeaks through, you know. Yeah, yeah. The, like, it's the defense that came to the rescue. And it's, it's all oh, wouldn't have happened if it hadn't been for these six or seven spectacular catches. No, no. That was just, that was complete and utter dominance that day. And then he pitches a no-hitter in the playoffs with the Phillies. Yeah. Yeah. But the Jays, when he was uh, second start, he ended up going eight and two thirds, and then Higginson hit a home run off him from Detroit. One of the amazing things about Roy Halladay, there was sort of an up and down trajectory to that career, especially early on. You know, it took him a little while. He didn't find his groove right out of the gate. 
No, he had to go back to the miners. And, uh, you know, we have Pat Gillick on and uh, Bob Elliott, and he'll, they'll be able to talk about that. That must have been very tough to do. Yeah, tell me about it because you, I mean, again, I'm just sitting in the chair for, for Wally today. Um, uh, you've lined up this cavalcade of, of amazing guests. So t- talk about who's on today. Steve Wallace, who's a uh, snowbird. We're going to talk about the actual plane crash and his experience flying and uh, have anything, uh, what to do, what it was like flying a plane. And I, I understand there's a lot of details missing, but that plane is pretty hard to uh, fly from what I understand. Well, there's only apparently 20 of them in existence, yeah. this uh, Icon A5. Um, Roy Halliday took his out basically as it was ro- rolling off the line from my understanding. Uh, but there's a lot of question about what happened with this plane crash. There are there are reports that he was hot-dogging it. There are reports that he was – uh, not experienced enough to fly what a lot of people in the f- flying industry call basically a jet ski with wings. Um, you know, there's a lot of questions, and the NTSB, to my knowledge, hasn't come back yet with anything that's here's what caused the crash. Yeah, and the and the, the guy that owned uh, owned the aircraft, he's a pilot himself. He he. He uh, went down too. Yeah, the he, test pilot was yeah, killed in yeah. a plane in a crash, piloting this same plane. So, uh, a lot of questions there. I'm I'm fascinated to be able to spend some time talking to Pat Gillick later on as well, because I mean, there's a guy who you know saw something, and I'm always fascinated by what happens when players get drafted, particularly one who had the trajectory that Roy Halladay did. You know, where he got off to an amazing start. And then needed to go back to single A ball. Um, there was something obviously that Pat Gillick and the guys from the Blue Jays saw in Roy Halladay. And, and I'm fascinated to find out a little bit more about what that was and how Pat Gillick again became part of Roy Halladay's career in later years. Yeah, it's interesting. He, he scouted him when he was with the Jays in 95, ended up trading for him. In 2008, I think it was yep. 2009. And then, of course, there's the one-day contract so that he could retire a Toronto Blue Jay, which, again, goes back to the class of the individual. Yeah, he's definitely he's definitely there. And the city, you weren't here, but uh, the city was uh, in mourning also. It's Toronto, and it's a pretty big city. And still is. You know, I mean, there's, a, there's still a lot of conversation, even while people were gathered in sports bars and whatnot in Toronto last night to watch the Maple Leafs. You couldn't, you couldn't go for very long without hearing somebody bring up Roy Halladay wherever you were. So. You, had, you had to bring up the Maple Leafs, did you? <laughs> well... Four in a row, that's pretty good. That's, hey, it's, uh, it looks like the, the ship has been righted there. Mike um, Babcock is amazing. He is an amazing, uh, an amazing, amazing guy. And, and you know, put the uh, put the lineup into a blender, and it seems like things have come out fine on the other side. <laughs> no Patrick Marlowe. Who needs Austin Matthews, right? Well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm yeah, kidding. Exactly, exactly. Uh, lots of places to go today, and um, hopefully at some point later on in the show, uh, a chance to work in your calls as well. But uh, uh, lots of great guests on the show today as we talk uh, most of the show today about Roy Halladay, a legend who we may not see the likes of again anytime soon here in the city of Toronto. So we got all of that coming up. You know, he was ranked second in uh, all-time best players behind Dave Steeb. Pitchers, I mean. Yeah, and I mean— And I'm wondering about that. Okay, in what way? I think Holiday was a much better pitcher than Steve. You know, and it's interesting. I mean, you compare the eras that the two of them, I guess, pitched in and what it took to be a dominant pitcher— 
20 or 25 years ago compared to what it takes to be a dominant pitcher now. That's also part of the conversation we can have with Pat Gillick as well, um, you know, because the game has evolved. It's kind of the same way that hockey has evolved. You know, it's a it's a very different thing to play in the NHL now compared to when we were oh, sitting yeah. watching Keon and Sittler play. That's for sure. The interesting part about Dave Steeb is that he went through, he was a pitcher, he was a, an outfielder turned pitcher. Yep. And uh, he had to go through the same thing through a ball and the rest of it. Yeah, it's, um, you know, there's always something that someone sees, whether it's a coach or a scout. Another thing that I want to kind of explore with, with Pat Gillick later on when he joins the show uh, after 930 is this idea of, you know, among the most recent conversations here we've had in Toronto, people are saying, you know, Mark Burley is a perfect example of a guy who you would think someday would make an amazing pitching coach. Yeah. But then I wonder, what does it actually take to be a great pitching coach? Because is it just being a great pitcher? I don't know. I got a sense that there's probably more to the picture than that. And and maybe Pat Gillick is a guy who can shed some light on, you know, things like that for us. Uh, Roy Halladay, perhaps, as a pitching coach. Was that something that was on the radar? You know, I, heard, I heard at one point that he was going to work for the Jays, and then I heard he was going to work for the Phillies. It would be interesting to ask Pat if there was ever a situation that Holiday could have joined the Phillies because Pat is still involved with the Phillies. And we have a guest coming up in just a couple minutes here from the Snowbirds too, yeah, right? Steve Wallace, yeah. All right. Uh, Steve Wallace is going to be joining us seconds from now when the Naz and Wally Sports Show continues. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville brought back the large five-topping pizza special for just $13.99 for a limited time. I'm whispering because the last time Pizzaville brought back this special, there was pandemonium in the streets, pushing, shoving, biting. So order now and order often, and hopefully you won't have any bite marks when this is over. Call Pizzaville for the large five-topping pizza special at pound 3636 from your cell phone. Shh. There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. Steel's Paint in Woodbridge, an enormous 20,000-square-foot superstore that carries nothing but the best. Superior staff, superior advice, superior selection, superior everything. When you have a really tough job to do, they can knock it down to size. They'll show you how to get it done right, and because they only sell the best of everything, you'll get it done to last. That means superior satisfaction. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. The best. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. They're not here to be nice. They're here to be right. The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. 
Neil Headley in for my friend Wally here and hanging out with Naz this morning. Thanks for having me back. Oh, you're very welcome. It's been such a long time since you guys invited me on the show. I thought I had done something wrong the last time I was here. <laughs> yeah, no, you've never done anything wrong. Honored to be here as a part of uh, a, a tribute show that is being done today for uh, the memory of Roy Halliday and uh, a lot of great guests coming in, not the least of whom can speak to uh, the, the idea behind actually sitting behind the controls in an airplane. Uh, Steve Wallace, a uh, decorated Gulf of War veteran, flew with the Snowbirds, Snowbirds and the Canadian Forces Aerial Demonstration Team. And uh, he's on the line. Steve, Steve, good morning. how are you? Hey, good morning, fellas. How are you? Well, we're all right. I mean, relatively speaking, obviously, uh, you know, with a show like this, you're, uh, you know, the city of Toronto still in mourning over one of the great legends in our sports history here. Um, let me start off with just a, a quick one for you. How hard to fly is a plane like the one Roy Halliday was flying? Yeah, the Icon A5 was uh, designed to be uh, brutally easy to fly, easy and safe. You could manhandle it uh, as grossly as you could imagine, and the airplane was designed to be uh, uh, fully safe, safe, stay flying. Steve, uh, was Roy Halliday's qualifications uh, uh, good, good enough to fly that plane? Oh, definitely. Uh, it's uh, reported that he had over 700 flying hours. That's pretty extensive for somebody in the uh, civilian world. Uh, I would imagine, I don't know the actual, actual specifics of when he got licensed, but uh, 700 hours indicates to me probably somebody's been flying for, well, at least half a decade, a decade easily. Now, you've got this uh, amazing resume as a pilot, uh, not only the Snowbirds and your time in the forces, and thank you for your service, by the way, um, and, and uh, relief missions and all sorts of things that you've done. Uh, you know, you're as as big an expert on, on this kind of thing as there is out there. So let me throw some ideas at you that I've heard just kind of expressed because um, you might have heard off the beginning of the show. I was in the Gulf on a fishing charter 70 miles from where Roy Halliday went into the water and everybody around that area uh, was instantly talking about all kinds of speculation. So there is the idea out there that has been expressed that maybe, and even there are witnesses that will back up this idea, that maybe Roy Halliday was dog, you know, hot dogging a little bit. But then there are other people who will say, depending on the level of expertise of the pilot, you might be so busy trying to, you know, not crash that that's why maybe the Mayday call is apparently uh, never reported to have happened. Where do you come down on this? I mean, what are you hearing and what's your experience? Yeah, I mean, there's it is all speculation, obviously. The uh, FAA is still investigating and we'll find out probably within uh, a month or so uh, something definitive. The good news is they had some uh, data recorders on board the aircraft, so that should be fairly simple to, to rule out if there's anything wrong with the airplane. Uh, and usually it comes down to one of two faults. Uh, it's either the, something mechanically uh, wrong with the aircraft. The other one is, uh, you know, uh, the man interface, the, the human interface with the aircraft. Uh, it's a pilot, pilot problem. Steve, now, man. it's totally speculation. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, it's totally speculation. It could be one or the other. Uh, I'm, I'm, I, I recall seeing the initial video of, uh, of a witness before the accident, I was a little bit shocked by the, the maneuver I saw. Uh, it was fairly abrupt, and I, as a matter of fact, it was long distance, so it was, the fidelity wasn't great. I thought maybe, that hey, did the wings come off that airplane? Because it's diving fairly quickly. 
and then it uh, leveled off and seemed to cruise, you know, almost like uh, wave top level until uh, the video ended. Um, that showed me a couple of things. First of all, that pilot was highly skilled because that was a pretty abrupt maneuver. What I thought was something uh, catastrophic it was obviously meant to be controlled. Um, yeah, there's a couple other things that could happen. Go ahead. Yeah, Steve, uh, what, what made you get into flying? I just want to get it. Wow. Wow, you guys know? are Toronto-based. Uh, the old Buttonville Airport. My, my, uh, I think my I flew with you one day. I think I flew I, with you one day. We can probably say it now, Naz. Yeah, uh, for sure. I think we skipped out at school once. <laughs> right. went up to the Maple Airport, <laughs> airport and, and, uh, and got an hour's flight in. There's no doubt in my mind we did that. Uh, yeah, my wife I'm, never believed uh, that story. She is now, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of fuzzy because it was so long ago, right, Naz? Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, Buttonville Airport. My my uncle was a pilot there, and I remember my mom taking me out as a, a young gaffer and saying, "Hey, that's your uncle up there with your dad," and it, it kind of stuck with me. Yeah, because you have to have a certain psyche to fly a plane. Because I have no aspirations of doing it. And not many people do, but there must be a certain high to flying a plane. Well, it, that goes back to the, the thrill. I mean, uh, even Doc's uh, wife initially had some trepidation about him him buying the airplane. Uh, and then uh, she went out to the training center one day and hopped in, apparently, and, and she was sold on it. She said, hey, this is great. I, I get it now. Uh, flipping the surly bonds of Earth, uh, it's a real thing. It is, it is fun. Well, and talk to me about this plane. I mean, I've heard this thing referred to as a jet ski with wings. Um, you've probably seen that reference as well. Uh, and one of the things that stuck out and one of the things that everybody was talking about about this plane early on was wasn't, wasn't the test pilot – for this plane also killed in a crash testing out this same plane? Yeah, the, air, the aircraft, the Icon A5, it's, uh, it was, it's been on the, it's on the dream sheet for over a decade. It took a long time to come to production. Uh, they actually didn't start producing for the customers till, uh just this early, early this year. Matter of fact, I don't think uh, Doc's aircraft was delivered until uh, last month. Um, yeah, there's been a couple accidents. Uh, there's been three fatalities to date. Uh, three accidents. The first one, actually, the aircraft, just a hard landing on the water. It, it actually sank um, before it could, could be recovered. Uh, nobody was injured or nobody was killed in that one. They uh, Actually, the, the lead uh, engineer and the lead test pilot were were killed uh, just over a month ago in, uh, in California. They were doing uh, some testing and uh, decided to do some uh, what I would consider stunt flying. The way it was reported, they were doing some canyon flying, and it, it looks like uh, what we call controlled flight into terrain, where you just, uh, you know, the, the world record for flying as low and as fast as possible to the ground uh, has been set at zero, and you can't beat that. And unfortunately, that's very unforgiving, and it sounds like what happened to the, uh, the two company chaps uh, uh, just a little while back. And then uh, now Doc is the, the third hull loss, aircraft loss, and uh, obviously a third fatality. Do they have to go through certain? Don't they have certain certifications that the plane has to pass before they can fly them, Steve? Yeah, well, the, the well, I'll, I'll focus on the pilot stuff. There is a ton of engineering that has to occur and testing to get uh, the aircraft licensed in the United States uh, through the FAA. Uh, but with the pilots, as a matter of fact, uh, Icon has a pretty good marketing and branding thing. And yes, they did market it as uh, it's a sport utility aircraft. But it's meant to meant to be fun. It's not meant to go long distances. It's not really a transportation vessel. 
it's competing with the high-speed uh, uh, toys that uh, folks love uh, on the water, like sea uh, doos and high-speed boats. It's it's to compete with that market. So it's meant to be fun, um, and uh, sometimes that can you know make people step out of their comfort level and get into some uh, crazy flying. You know, and that's that, that was one of the things when you hear about that reference to be it being a jet ski with wings, um, you know, that was and it's interesting to hear you make a, a similar reference to it there, because the first thing that we started asking while we were, you know, and we had limited access to information. We were out on a fishing charter in the Gulf and, and we started to ask in the question, well, where was he going? Where was he flying to? But this sounds like just something you take out for the same reason you take a jet ski out. You're not going someplace. You're just out to have fun. That's correct. It's not it's not the destination. It's the journey. You're out there to have a a little bit of a blast. Going back to the pilot training, uh, uh, ICON has a, it's contractually, you have to do uh, a certification training uh, with their pilots at their training centers uh, to get in this thing. Now, sometimes it's not extensive. If you're an experienced pilot like Doc, uh, probably involves, uh, you know, a three-day course, uh, up to five flying hours to get qualified. And then, uh, you know, it's even branded. Apparently, there's, there's, um, uh, it's quoted in one of the documents uh, or flying magazines that up to 40 percent of the orders are from non-pilots. People are looking for a thrill, and then they can go to the training centers and get trained uh, to the minimum level, for, right from z- ground zero, basically. Steve, I, I gotta let you go because you're uh, doing a uh, refing uh, seminar, I guess, today in the uh, yeah. for the GTH. On, tell on me the a bit about Arena. Tell me a bit about your refereeing. Your uh, since since sure, this I'm, is a sports show, uh, go ahead. Yeah, no worries. I'm a, point, a board appointed volunteer with the Greater Toronto Hockey League, largest hockey league in the world. We have over forty thousand players. I'm uh, the the uh, director of officiating, responsible for all the training development of all the uh, on ice officials, their supervisors, and their instructors for all the minor hockey in the Greater Toronto area. And this morning we have a new supervisor seminar out at Iceland's Arena. Very good. All right. Steve Wallace, uh, legendary pilot here, uh, and on uh, certainly on our side of the border and around the world as well. Steve, thanks for taking some time to help us clarify some of the technical points of, of uh, what happened to Roy Halliday. Appreciate the time. Well, thanks for inviting me, Neil. And as uh, oh, happy birthday, buddy, by the way. Oh, thank you Have very much. Day. Thanks, Steve. All right, Steve. Um, wait a minute. Happy birthday. What is that about? I turned 35 today, so. Wow, well, happy. See, if I'd known, <laughs> I wouldn't have eaten all the cake. I just thought that was leftovers from last week. In- interesting that he wished me a birthday on, on the show. That's good. That's good. <laughs> um, it's uh, Neil in for Wally. Of course, Naz is here, the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, with guests including Pat Gillick and uh, legendary sports writer Bob Elliott. All that coming up. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville realised that people may not know how many different kinds of ponzos Pizzaville makes. You can go Italian if you like a sausage. You can go Hawaiian if you like ham and pineapple. And you can go Canadian if you like bacon, beer and hockey. We can build a ponzo that speaks your language, no matter where you are from. Call Pizzaville at 736-3636. Or visit pizzaville.ca. At Titanium Logistics, we believe that choosing the right shipping company comes down to two issues, price and cost. Most prices are competitive, will likely save you money too. But the cost of choosing the wrong company to service your cross-border freight to and from the U.S. and Mexico can be extraordinary. If it's not where it should be, when it should be, that bargain price, worthless. 
Titanium Logistics, on time, on budget. Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey. At 20,000 square feet, Steel's Paint and Woodbridge is Canada's largest independent paint store. Big deal, right? Big deal, yes. The best brands, the best staff, the best advice, the best of everything. From color matching to brand selection, whether you're a pro or a DIYer, we'll look after you from the minute you walk in to the minute you walk in a second time as a completely satisfied customer. Big store, big deal, bigger satisfaction. Simple. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. There are two ways to argue sports with these guys, and none of them work. The boys are back, the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Neil Headley from the Happy Gang in for Wally here this morning. Of course, Naz is, uh, is here as well. Good morning to you, my friend. Good morning. We are uh, paying tribute this morning to Roy Halliday and uh, talking to some of the people who uh, really, you know, at least from a, uh, a perspective of knowing the man uh there are a few sports writers i would say in the country uh if if not anywhere not too many not yeah too many. exactly that know or knew roy halliday as well as our next guest bob elliott legendary sports writer joins the show this morning bob how are you sir all right gentlemen nice to be up this early yeah <laughs> <laughs> where to even start um let me ask you the simple question because you've been covering Toronto sports, I think, since Toronto sports were invented. Um, is there ever going to be another Roy Halladay in the city of Toronto? Um, that's going to be tough to duplicate what the what the man did with the complete games and that because the game is so uh, the game is so geared to like five innings for the starter, unless your name is Kershaw or uh, maybe Chris Sale, but. Uh, what he did was uh, when they gave him the ball, whether it was Cito Gaston or Gibbons or Tim Johnson, whoever it was, uh, he was supposed to, uh, you know, he didn't want to give it up until uh, the the nine innings were done, you know. And uh, I don't know what he had, 60, 70 uh, complete games, which is from from the time he broke in until now, nobody's, nobody has more. Neil and I were talking earlier, Bob, and uh, is uh, he a first ballot Hall of Famer, Roy? Um, I would think, I would think he is, I would think, uh, the other thing I would maybe caution, like, it's like, it's like the statue, it's like the retiring the number. I mean, that's a talking point, but I don't know, you know, like, I think it's, it's still, uh, it's still real early to... To argue or decide any of those things, you know, there's, I think he's eligible in 2019, but, you know, like the, that funeral or the ceremony or whatever is on Tuesday, and, you know, you got a wife without a husband, the parents without a kid, and two sisters without a brother, and, you know, to, uh, I guess my head's still, uh, still around the, the two boys without, without, uh, that have lost their uh, father. 
Well, and that's the thing about about him, you know, is is the example that he set for others. Um, I mean, not just the two boys, but I mean, there are so many players in Major League Baseball who who call even having been, you know, on the same team with this guy, uh, such an honor because of everything he brought, not just when he was standing on the mound, but even in the clubhouse and in in training camp and everything else that he brought to the table, right? That's correct. Yeah, there was certainly a, a giant uh, outpouring of affection from my, uh, not only Phillies and not only Blue Jays, but guys who faced him. Like, I mean, uh, Yankees and uh, Red Sox and on the on the on the Twitter machine. But I can't I can't think of anything that I can compare it to uh, for. And hopefully I don't have to, you know, somebody gone that young. I mean, he was known as a workaholic. He ran the stairs, ran the stadium, uh, did the powerlifting, uh, uh, ran the left field power, foul pole to the right field power pole. So why? So he could become good at his profession. So he could uh, make some money, look after his family. So he hurts his shoulder, he retires, and he's been gone for like four years, and now he's uh, retired for four years, and now uh, poof, he's gone at age 40. It's just, uh, it's hard, uh, it's really hard to believe, and uh, I think, I think Tuesday night I was listening, and uh, I heard like four straight guys just break up at the, talking about him, you know, uh, and these are, a couple of them are grizzled uh, ball players that, uh, tough guys so uh, I, I don't know it's just it's just a shame he was he was first class all the way well and you talk about the the people that faced and we're talking to a legendary sports writer Bob Elliott the piece that you wrote uh, a couple days ago about Roy Halladay mentions uh, Derek Jeter right tell me uh, tell me about the Jeter reference uh, well Sutcliffe I think it was on their one of their tours of Japan I think it was or a Nike tour he they were just shooting the breeze having lunch and he said who's the Who's the best? And before he could say pitcher he ever faced, uh, Jeter uh, Jeter answered Roy Holiday. How difficult was it, Bob, for him to go back to single A and re retool again? Uh, he was not happy. I was there that day. Uh, he he was, uh, you know, the first week of spring training there weren't any games, and you would hear like Buck uh, Buck was managing that year, or Mark Connor, the pitching coach, or Gordash, they would say, oh, did you see Roy Halladay's bullpen? Did you see how good Halladay looks? And then he'd get in the game, and it was terrible. And then the next bullpen would be good, and they'd get in the game, and it would be another bad one. And So we walked in, and it was, uh, I'll never forget, they said, well, we're sending Roy Halladay out. Oh, okay, uh, to Syracuse, somebody said, and Buck said, no, we're not sending him to Syracuse. Oh, to Knoxville, double-A, no, um, we're going to leave him here at Dunedin. And so I said, oh, because of the weather, because, you know, weather in upstate New York can be bad in April. And he said, no, we want him to start over and work on a few things and I was like it was just a shock like could you imagine being told you know you're in you're in you finally reached a university and you've been told uh, hey uh, I think we want you to go back to grade nine you know like that's that's what it was like and he was not pleased at all but he uh, it's a credit to the man that he, he worked so hard at it and so diligently and 
he was a, he was a driven guy beforehand, and he certainly was afterwards. Well, and you talk about, I mean, work ethic and all of those kinds of things as well. Um, Naz and I were chatting just before we got on the air um, about the idea of what does it take – to make that transition, for example, and, and it's easy to have this conversation about Mark Burley as well. Conversation from great pitcher, clubhouse leader, et cetera, to, for example, pitching coach. Is that, is that the kind of thing? Is, is a Roy Halladay the kind of guy that you, you hope for in that kind of position? Uh, as a pitching coach? Yeah. Yeah, he, uh, he, wanted, to, he wanted to get into, the, into that end of it, and he was doing some work with the Phillies, but uh, I think it would have been uh, the year after we, he retired. I spoke to him in Clearwater, and he said, "Ah, he said we got enough guys around that are working on elbows and arms and mechanics." He said, "I want to work on heads because the the late Harvey Dorfman um, helped him with the the, the book, uh, the mental game of uh, pitching, and then the ABCs uh, of, uh, of baseball, and uh, you know, like how you handle it." And I. And I, I had bought the kid. I had bought the book uh, a number of times for kids, and here I was, I don't know, maybe about seven or eight years ago, walking by his locker once, and there was the book. And I said, "What are you doing with that book?" And he says, "He says, what do you mean?" I said, "Well, I, I've seen it, and it, uh, it's very, very good." And uh, and he says, "That's about my seventh copy." Because uh, I said, "Why did you lose him?" And he said, "No, no, I just he he would read it before every start and." Uh, he had he showed me how he had underlined passages and you know with the with the yellow highlighter highliner and uh and then he'd start all over again you know with when the when the book ran out the other the other exercise he used to do he showed me this they had squares from one to a hundred and you had to you had to find one and then two and or three and like they weren't in order they were all jumbled. And he, he he would time himself on how he did to to heighten his focus. Wow. Yeah. Um, we're talking to Bob Elliott, legendary sports writer here on the, the Naz and Wally Sports Legendary Hour. is a word for old. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> See, we, we don't use that word here on Zoomer Radio. Um, right. But I tell you, um, I mean, he was also, for guys who do what you do for a living, um, an easy guy to cover, too, wasn't he? Um. Well, he wasn't easy. He wasn't easy. Uh, like he was tough to catch because he, he in like when he started, like I don't know, in 2000, 2001. I mean, in those days, you'd walk in to the clubhouse two hours before, uh, three hours before first pitch, and um, there might be twenty guys out of twenty-five sitting at their locker or playing cards or watching TV or whatever. Nowadays, you walk in and there might be five guys sitting at their locker and uh, they're on the phone or they're doing their iPad or something but but he so he was he was seldom at his locker because he was going from one back room to another to work out but or to run or whatever but he uh, when you did when you did get him uh, uh he always had time and it was uh you know could we set up an interview for tomorrow and I I've heard this story about 10 guys tell this story yeah, sure. Well, how about seven tomorrow? And for for uh, writers and TV people who just work nights, that's that's an awful awful uh, time, right? But seven a.m. right? So he goes. Uh, people will say, yeah, okay, seven a.m. Is that is that when you're getting here? No, that's when I'm finished my workout, so we can talk then. So he would get. I went to see him once at Clearwater, 
and with the Phillies, and I think I got there at four forty-five, and he was already there. Oh, wow! Man. Incredible work ethic. Wow. Bob, uh, his intensity during the the, the the day game day is that is that all true? Where he didn't talk to anyone? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Mike Shaw, I talked to him uh, <clears throat> years ago. He, he was laughing, and I saw him. And uh, the last day of spring training at the complex before they go down to the stadium, they'd always play an inter-squad game, a fun game. It used Carter, Carter, Joe Carter started it. It was like for pizza and pizza and soda or whatever. Whoever got to pay, whoever they ordered them, and then who, the, the losing side had to pay. So here comes uh, Mike. Mike tells the story about walking along the path, and Halliday's coming one way, and he's coming the other way. Mike's the traveling secretary. And, uh, you know, he he says, what, it's an inter-squad game, no big deal. Uh, he says, hi, Roy. And, uh, you know, he's trying to be polite. And uh, Halliday never said a word. Wow. <laughs> he was that zoned in for an inter-squad game to face his own guys. Incredible. Honored to spend some time this morning with uh, Bob Elliott, legendary sports writer, even though he thinks that word means old. Um, listen, man, thanks for taking the time. It's an honor to talk to you this morning. Thanks for joining us. It was a pleasure. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks, right, Bob. Thank you. Thanks. Wow, we got elevated to gentlemen there. Did you notice that? Yeah, he, he's pretty. He's pretty good. <laughs> um, it's the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. My name's Neil. I'm in for Wally this morning. Of course, Naz is here, uh, and we're honored by the presence of another legend joining us on the line. Two here. World Series winners, absolutely. Ninety-two, ninety-three. Pat Gillick. Good morning, Pat. Morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. Pat, talk to us about um, – this is the thing that I'm, I'm fascinated with uh, the most about – I mean, there are so many elements of Roy Halladay's life and career uh, that one can, can focus on. But as a guy who watched him at the very, very beginning, I'm interested to hear what it is that – you know, he comes to the majors. He has those disastrous – couple, one disastrous season and goes back down to single-A ball. At, at what point does a team look at a guy like that? Because at that point, you flip a coin, do you? Or you, how do you know that somebody is is going to come back from that versus the guys who never will? Well, I don't know what's been discussed on the program prior to this, but uh, actually, uh, we had been on Roy Holiday since he was 14 years of age. Um, uh, we had a, a scout in uh, in Denver, Colorado, Buzz Campbell, and really Buzz Tim Wilkin and Bob Engel are responsible for getting Roy into the organization. And so we had a history on him uh, as, from the time that he was a sophomore in high school at Arvada West High School in Denver, Colorado. So we we knew what kind of a person that uh, we were drafting uh, in the first round in 1995. I was not the GM at the time. Gordy Ash took over, and I was a uh, advisor to Gordy. But... Um, and not talking about Roy, but talking a little bit about my situation. When I came in as a general manager, I thought 80% of, of baseball was the physical part and 20% was the mental part. But as I, as I learned as I went along, uh, I found out it was more like 60% ability and 40% mental. And that's what uh, Roy Halladay had over uh, many of the pitchers uh, in the major leagues today. It was the mental skills. So consequently, to answer your question, when he went down and did what was a remarkable job of changing his arm ang- angle, he and Mel Queen, and coming back to the major leagues, we had confidence at that time that, that he was going to make that adjustment. I was no longer with the Blue Jays, 
but I was talking to Gordy Ash and, and Mel Queen and Bob Maddock were there, and uh, they were very confident just because of, of Roy's mental makeup uh, that he could make this adjustment and come back. Pat, uh, you ended up uh, trading for him later with Philly to Philadelphia. What was the reaction of uh, the Philly fans to Roy Holiday when he was there? Um, you know, he, he was, uh, you know, the thing about Roy is um, he had such tremendous credibility. Um, you know, he's really a, a, a dream for a baseball executive. He was a dream for a fan. He was a, an outstanding individual, an outstanding, fierce competitor on the mound. And at the other, on the other side of the, of the flip coin, uh, you know, he was a great, great, uh, you know, fan's dream. Uh, as many of you know, maybe uh, don't know, you know, there was a place at Rogers Center called Doc's Box, and he especially donated that box for the kids at um, Sick Kids Children's Hospital, and he donated $100,000 every year to Jay's Care. So he was not only uh, a tremendous uh, talent on the field and a tremendous competitor, as I said. Um, he, he, was, he was a wonderful, wonderful guy and a great family guy off the field. You know, we were talking a couple minutes ago to Bob Elliott, um, legendary sports writer, of course, and, and I asked him this question. I'll put the same thing to you. You look at a guy like Doc Holliday, and, and we can also think about him in Toronto. Um, I would put him in the same category with, for example, a Mark Burley, in that I look at those guys as players who would be able to effectively make the transition from, you know, legendary player over to potentially great coach is that am, am i right at looking in, at, at roy holiday as kind of the guy who was in the middle of making that transition and probably we can look at him now and think about all of the the careers he could have impacted as a coach yeah he um he made a tremendous impact not you know when he first came when he came over certainly from a performance standpoint uh but then the last uh, you know year and a half uh, he's been a mental skills coach uh in our minor league system and uh and Roy and his and Brandy and his two children live north of Tarpon, and so he spent a lot of time at our complex, which is you know 15, 20 minutes uh, south in Clearwater, with our younger pitchers coming in for the first time. Uh, when our pitchers come into the Philly system, they come initially to Clearwater, and they either play with the Gulf Coast League team or uh, one of the extended programs. And Roy was heavily involved with our younger pitchers from the mental skills standpoint. Um, probably, I don't know if it's been mentioned, but, you know, he was a client of Harvey Dorfman, who was probably uh, one of the first really sports psychologists. And, and it's amazing that, uh, that the doc went through this transition you mentioned when he went down to Dunedin and, and changed his arm ankle. But another guy who was a very different pitcher from, uh, Roy was Jamie Moyer, and he was also a client of Harvey Dorfman, and he was a guy who I always said uh, the people that are usually in trouble in the, in the big leagues are people that throw average. You either got to throw above average or below average, and so we had two pitchers, Roy who threw above average, and we had Moyer who threw slow, slower, and slower. <laughs> Um, forgive the uh, forgive the abrupt turn on this, but you know you talk about the mental aspect of the game, and you talk about the hurdles that Roy Halladay had to clear, and and I think about that in terms of so many other players. Naz probably knows exactly what I'm about to ask you, and and forgive me if you don't have necessarily experience with this particular player, but if you got to strip it right back down to the wood to take a guy that you know has 
all kinds of talent. I think about, for example, currently in the Blue Jays organization, I think about Ryan Goins, and I think about a kid that obviously has all of the physical ability in the world, but for some reason just can't seem to get it done at the plate. I mean, is that is that a mental thing that we somebody just needs to take a player like that, like they did for Roy Halladay, and just take him right back to the beginning and start over? Or what do you do with the player that you look and you see all that potential, but it's just not clicking. I, I think I think what you do is um, you basically you have to be supportive of that player, and you have to encourage that player. And that's that's where somebody, um, though he was a pitcher, uh, he still has Doc still had the the the, the credibility. Uh, he's only uh, four or five years removed, so. A lot of the players that are now 22, 23 years of age, they're eight, they were 18 when Doc was, was finishing his career. So when Roy Holiday shows up, uh, he has instant credibility. And so I think, I think if I was Roy, uh, I, w- I would certainly, you know, work on the, the mental aspect, uh, you know, because it's, you know, you can pound and pound and practice and practice the physical aspect, but if you don't have the right mindset, if you don't have the right mental approach, um, then if you don't have the right focus, uh, then you're not going to be successful. And so that's what, you know, Roy really immersed himself as. I don't know if Bob had mentioned this, but, you know, before a game, he would not talk to anyone, not the media, not his teammates. The only two people he ever talked to prior to the game because he was completely immersed in, in what pitches he was going to throw at that game. He'd only talk to the manager and the pitching coach. He talked to no one else until the game was completed. And so, that was the type of concentration, the type of focus he had, and that's what he was trying. He, he was attempting and was being successful in our organization because I talked to our director of player development last night, and he said it's a tremendous loss uh, to the Philly organization, uh, Roy Halladay, because he was doing a great job you know, with our younger people coming into the organization. Pat, is Roy a uh, Hall of Famer? You know, you look at his career, it's a short career, and you look at Sandy Koufax's career, and it was a short career. He's just short of 100 games over 500. I think he's like 203 and 105, something like that. Um, and, and the other things he's done uh, postseason, you know, no-hitter, perfect games, um, I would think he would certainly have strong consideration because when you're uh, 100 games, almost 100 games over 500, uh, that's a pretty remarkable uh, feat right there. And the other things that he did, um, pitch an extra, he pitched an extra inning shutout. He and, uh, and Jack Morris were the only two guys that pitched extra inning shutouts uh, you know, since 1991. Uh, I would certainly think being on the All-Star team as many times as he won, winning a Cy Young in the National and American League, um, there, there's a lot of very, very positive uh, things that uh, I think the BBWA would have to uh, would have to look at, and uh, you know I certainly would support uh, if I was asked, uh, which I am being asked, I would support him for the Hall of Fame. 
We're talking to one of the all-time uh, baseball legends here in uh, Pat Gillick here on the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. My name's Neil in for Wally. Naz, of course, is here. Um, Pat, are we ever going to see the pendulum in baseball swing back to the Roy Halladay-style pitcher where you can, for example, pitch an extra inning shutout, or, or are we too much into the era of specialization and guys who come in for an out or two and, and we're never going to go back there? Well, I think, I think we're in a period of specialization uh, for certain right now, uh, maybe uh, I might say this, um, over-specialization. Uh, I, I'm really a proponent of balance. If you need balance on your baseball team, you need balance in your, your thought, thinking. So consequently, there certainly is a, uh, a place for analytics and for statistics in baseball. We, I think that, you know, that's what we all grew up with. People on the, the, the listeners on now, he grew up with statistics. I mean, you don't throw them out and it's just like a horse race. You look at the, at at the uh, at what the sheet says, and you know what a horse has done in the future. And you look at the statistics, and you got a pretty good idea what a hitter or a pitcher has done in the, in the past. So consequently, you have to look at that. But right now, um, it's kind of the pendulum has kind of gone along the other way, and uh, I think it's going to be a while before. Uh, we get a balance back. I think this thing's going to have to kind of run out. Not that I, again, I'm not opposed to analytics. I think they're a part of the information you have to have. But again, you have to have the analytics and you have to have that balanced with the physical observation by a scout of the human being playing in a game. Pat, we were talking earlier off air about Dave Steve. He was an outfielder and he turned into a pitcher. Do you see similarities with him and Roy? Could you repeat that? You kind of broke up a little bit. Uh, we were talking about Dave Steve. He was an outfielder turned pitcher, right? And uh, did he go through the same uh, things as Roy Halladay did when he had to go start at eight ball again? You know, uh, and I say this in a positive manner, um, Dave Steve was sort of a freak, one of those guys who, if you look at his minor league career, uh, he had a very, very short minor league career. He was a, he was someone who adapted and uh, almost um, you know became a pitcher overnight. It, it it was it was really phenomenal. Just if you look back at his very, very short minor league career, he'd been an All American center fielder at Southern Illinois University, and you know two of our scouts, uh, Don Welke and Alamaki and Bob Maddock, they just happened to catch him two innings in the back end of a game and decided to draft him. And, you know, within a short period of time, I want to say a year and a half, year, year and a half, he was in the big league. So he was just one of those natu- really naturally talented people and really took to pitching very quickly. Um, Dave really didn't have, to, he, he didn't have to work at it. He was a tremendous athlete, and things just became very, very natural to him. You know, you talk about... Um all of the off-field stuff for Roy Halladay. And, uh, you know, I've made the suggestion even this week a a few times that Roy Halladay might be the classiest guy to ever put on a uniform for a Toronto sports team. But let's talk about the on-field stuff just for a second. Is there... 
you know, so many times and it happens across all sports, someone will come along and people will look and say, oh, this is the next incarnation of whoever, uh, whether it's Jeter or this is the next incarnation of even in hockey, this is the next incarnation of Wayne Gretzky, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Is there somebody out there that's got your attention maybe that for now might even be flying under the radar that you look at and you go, that could be in terms of on-field stuff, that could be the next Roy Halladay right there? Um, I really, I really can't, uh, you know, put my finger on somebody, you know, at the moment that, that might fill that bill because again, um, a lot of it goes back to the mental aspect and, um, you'd have to know the player. You have to get to know the player. That's why I mentioned at the top of the call that we knew holiday from the age of 14. So, um, we knew we knew the individual. I would have to know the individual, and, and see what it what what I felt his makeup was, what his uh, what his work ethic was, what his determination was. If he was persistent, if he was focused, uh, if he had concentration, and those are all things that go into to being a successful athlete, be it whatever sport you're in. So I can't really put my finger on that um, because, I, as again, I'd have to know the player. And, and, and know a little bit more what makes this guy tick before I can make that determination. Inductee into the level of excellence at Skydome, Pat Gillick, taking some time this morning with uh, the Nash and Wally Sports Hour. Pat, thank you so much for the time this morning. Really appreciate it. Well, I thank you very much. And, you know, I, I think it was just it's wonderful that the fans of Toronto, you know, got to see Roy both on and off the field. And I, I think we're all... You know, it's it's really a tragedy and, and, and really a great loss, uh, you know, to, to the baseball fraternity of Roy's passing. It's just, uh, I, it's, I just still can't believe that it happened, and I'm, I'm totally shocked by, by what happened in the accident. Thanks, Pat. All right. Bye-bye. Pat Gillick there with uh, the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. Um, yeah. And and at what he said at the end of the call, I think, still sums up how so many people, you know, feel about what happened. It's it's one of those that you never saw coming, um, and and it's I think for a lot of sports fans in Toronto, I think they're looking at it and and thinking, we I wish we had honored this guy more when he was around. I haven't heard a bad thing said about Roy Hall. It's true. Holiday. It's it's amazing. Yeah, you think you'd hear something, but nothing. No, and and those players are rare, right? When when universally everything that's said about them, you know, with the exception of that one Yahoo in Boston, um, that everything that's said about somebody is just nothing but positive. It's interesting how Bob Elliott and Pat's uh, answers were similar. They Pretty were much, same, yeah. yeah. Well, it was interesting. I mean, that's and that's the thing about Roy Halladay, right? He was the same guy. All the time to everybody. There wasn't a, a special treatment thing with him. He was who he was, and there was no being on his good side or bad side. He had his side, and that was it. Yeah, and it's definitely we took him for granted as a as a player here. We don't realize how good he really was. Well, and that's and maybe you know that's one of those things that as a as a major league city uh, that we need to look at what we do with our sports teams and our professional athletes and all that going forward is is how many. Roy Hallidays are out there in terms of their impact on the game, even just on paper, that we haven't necessarily taken the time to recognize how lucky we have it for so many great players in this city. And we've had Pat Gillick uh, on the show before, but he can walk on water here. 
Yeah. You don't realize how popular he is. Yeah, exactly. If they ever offered him the job as president again and or general manager, the fans would go crazy and love it. He's only 80. He could take that on. Look at Lou Lamarillo. Right, exactly. So. Exactly. Um, listen, thanks for having me in this morning. This was a treat and an honor. No problem. Thank um, you for taking the chair. Because like I said, uh, you know, I was 70 miles away on a fishing charter in the Gulf when it went down. And that's all uh, anybody could talk about in Florida was uh, the passing of Roy Halliday. So. It's, it's interesting what Steve Wallace said. That it was a recreational plane. It was just uh... – yeah, which goes back to that whole jet ski with uh, jet ski with wings thing that we've been hearing all week too. Uh, of course, lots more to come with that. I mean, the NTSB still hasn't weighed in with exactly what went wrong, but that is a question that's got everybody's attention, and it'll be fascinating. By the time you and Wally get back together next week, who knows? Uh, maybe we'll have some answers. Yeah, finally. Wally will be back next week. And, all right. Uh, Thank you very much, Neil. Thanks a ton, Naz. Appreciate it. It's Zuma Radio AM 740, downtown FM 96.7, and the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. Thanks for having us. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.